My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Well, good morning, and welcome to Our Sunday School. I'm glad you're able to join us this morning. And uh, if you got your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 9. We're in Mark chapter 9 already. Uh, I say that as if we're making a quick pace through Mark, but uh, almost halfway through the Gospel of Mark. So you've got your Bible, grab Mark chapter 9, and uh, we'll say good morning to some folks. So we've got the, uh, uh, I've got my family on the couch here, so good morning, guys. The Millers are here. Uh, we've got, my screen's jumping around on me here. So we've got uh, Brittany. Hey, good morning, Brittany. Uh, the Johnsons, good morning. The Landers, back in uh, uh, the eastern half of the United States, welcome back. Those pictures were just stunning, absolutely stunning. Uh, Katie sent me one of uh, them watching Sunday school with what looked like the Grand Canyon in the background. And I got to say, I've never taught Sunday school from Arizona before, but uh, that was pretty cool. Um, so good morning, Amy Velosen. Good morning, Barbers are all here. The Arnolds are here, uh, both sets of Arnolds. And... Uh, <laughs> Good deal, Sarah. Uh, newborn babies, you get all the grace in the world. Just We're just going to pour all kinds of grace because that's just what you need. Uh, those of us that have had little ones in the house, we understand tons of grace. No problem. So uh, Mark chapter 9. Uh, this uh, The handout, if you if you go to OurSundaySchool.com, you can grab the handout for today's lesson. But uh, it's the same lesson. It's the same handout for... Uh, next week, and it very possibly might be a three-week handout because it's a it's a ten pages to get through verses one through ten. Um, so just FYI to that, you may just need to print it once. But we will uh, we'll read through Mark chapter nine, and as we're reading, just be thinking about what's going on in the story, as well as what is God doing in you through the portion of Mark that we've studied so far. So what's God doing in you through the portion of Mark that we've studied so far? The Benefields at Panama City Beach. You guys be careful down there. And uh, hello and good morning, RL. So, uh, all right, so Mark chapter 9. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how it is written 
of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I tell you that Elijah has come. And they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all of the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has it been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And they went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him, because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. 
it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. All right, well, good morning to several more of you. Uh, we've got the uh, Samsels and the Greggs, yes, and happy birthday, Nanny. Like, that's incredible, 100, fantastic. Happy birthday to you. If I could sing uh, without sounding like a wounded animal was dying, I would sing happy birthday to you, but uh, I'll spare you that. That will be my gift to you not singing to you today. Uh, but happy birthday, that's absolutely incredible. Hello to the archers from Louisville. Uh, the, the, let's see who else we've got. We've got the heirs here this morning. Good morning. And then the Greggs. Good morning. So uh, hello to, from uh, Louisville to uh, Panama City to North Carolina. Wow, we are rapidly geographically expanding. This is just mind-boggling to me. But here we go. So uh, Mark chapter 9. So we've talked through uh, what we're going to be doing today, looking verse by verse, word by word through the first few verses of Mark chapter 9. Uh, are there any literary or structural observations? So just from a setting perspective, we've got this one verse that kind of hangs out there at verse 1 that really, if you look at the, the paragraphs in uh, the ESV, it's attached to the last paragraph in Mark chapter 8. And then Jesus brings Peter, James, and John, uh, sorry, I couldn't resist, away for a special viewing. Um, we'll talk a little bit about why that verse 1 is in chapter 9 and not in chapter 8. Uh, and then we'll get into uh, kind of verse 2 and beyond to the transfiguration. So uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 1, and he said, and this is imperfect, so this is repeatedly occurring in the past, uh, Jesus said to them, truly, this is the Hebrew word, amen. Um, you, you might hear this in churches today if someone agrees with someone else's point. It's a way of saying, yes, that is a true statement. Uh, so amen, uh, I say, uh, to you, and this is an indicative, so this is from the perspective of the speaker, a fact. I say to you, and this is a plural you, so he's talking to this group that's there. Uh, there are some standing uh, who, here who will not taste. So the, the standing word is a perfect tense. So this is a completed action with the results continuing. So there are, there are people that are standing right here, and they're still standing right here, uh, who will not taste death. Now, if you look at your handout at the bottom of page 271, you'll see that there are two words for not listed here. So that it, it's an emphatic. When, when a word is repeated in Greek like this, it's, it's for emphasis. It doesn't, the first not, or the second not doesn't negate the first not. It's not a, <laughs> uh, 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 don't not not do that. You know, you have to kind of think about what that would mean in English. But in Greek, it's, this will not taste death. You can almost stress the word not when you read it out loud. So there's some standing here who will uh, not taste, and this word taste is subjunctive, so this is the is a, a possibility of this in the future. They will not taste death until, and there's two Greek words that make up the word until, until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And this word see is in the subjunctive as well. Uh, after they see the kingdom of God, and this is a concept that shows up uh, several times in the Gospel of Mark, the kingdom of God. We'll get more into it in a later chapter in the Gospel of Mark. Um, but just kind of 
keep that in your mind that this is a key phrase that shows up multiple times in Mark's gospel. Until they see the kingdom of God after it has come. So this is after it has come. This is another perfect tense. So the results, uh, this is completed action with the results continuing. Uh, after, they, after it has come uh, with power, with dunamis. Now you might be thinking, well, why is this verse in chapter 9? Well, let's just make sure we all understand. I think it's good to hear this periodically. Is that every translation of the Bible has a theological bent. Like there is a there is a pull that the translators are trying to get the readers to see. Sometimes they do it with individual word choices, sometimes they do it with words that are translated or not translated, sometimes they do it with words that are added to the text. To try to help the reader understand the the uh, original meaning, and then sometimes it's done with structure. So uh, just as a reminder, nothing about the verse divisions or the chapter divisions or really even the punctuation in the Bible is uh, inspired. All these things were added to the text to help us just navigate. Because imagine how difficult it would be if I wanted to teach a lesson this morning about this particular passage in Mark and I had to find a way, a non-numerical way to explain to you how far into Mark we were. Like that, that would be, I mean, that's just really challenging logistics. Like how do you, how do you get everybody there, right? It'd be very difficult. So I, I am quite grateful for the chapter in the first divisions. They break things down for us. They, they aggregate, they group things together. It's very, very helpful. Uh, and sometimes it's done a little awkwardly. Like I would argue Mark 9-1 is done. So I'm going to, I'm going to turn your attention to Daniel uh, chapter 7. And so that I have now entered uh, what I would call my terrified phase of this lesson. Uh, I am not a prophecy uh, guru. It is not something that I have spent a large amount of my time studying. Uh, it's certainly not something that I feel exceptionally comfortable with. Hebrew is way more complicated than Greek. And in Daniel, you even throw in some other land, I mean, it's just, it's, this is a complicated section of Scripture. But I, I just want us to understand what Jesus might be referencing here in the Old Testament. So if you look at Daniel chapter 7, uh, verses 13 and 14. <clears throat> so Daniel says this, uh, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So if we're talking in the Old Testament about someone who has this title of son of man and has a kingdom that will never go away, who might we be talking about here? I feel like I feel like from a prophecy perspective, this one's fairly straightforward. We're talking about Jesus, which is another one of the reasons why when Jesus uses this phrase, the Son of Man, that people around him start to get a little bit anxious. Because if you knew your Old Testament, you would know that that's talking about the Messiah. And, and the portion of this particular text that the first century Jews really latched onto was this kingdom language that there's a new kingdom coming and it's going to supplant it's going to displace the prior kingdom this roman kingdom 
And the Jews are going to have a king and a kingdom and things are going to be set right. So when Jesus, the son of man, shows up talking about a kingdom that's not a political military force that supplants the Roman Empire, the Jewish leaders look at him and go, yeah, but you hadn't checked all the boxes. You, you can't be the Messiah. So what, what they didn't get is that that was coming, right? There was There's layers to this prophecy being fulfilled. Uh, but I want us to recognize that when Jesus uses this son of man, this kingdom language kind of together, he, he's hearkening back to some language in the Old Testament that people really would have perked up on. So two other things that I want us to look at. So Matthew 16, I should have told you you need a whole Bible today. Uh, Matthew 16, 28. So this is uh, Matthew's account of um, this same kind of a, uh, let's see, some of the same language here. In verse 28, it says, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And you're like, oh, okay. So in Matthew's gospel, the, the language Son of Man is included with this kingdom language. And if you look at Luke uh, chapter 9, verse 27. So you might just want to jot these references down in your notes. So Daniel 7, 13 and 14, Matthew 16, 28, and then Luke 9, 27. So again, this is, um, let me go back to Matthew real quick. This is one of the downsides of having a, uh, a very noisy Bible. So the verse after 1628 is the transfiguration. So we know that uh, from a timeline perspective, we're talking about the same thing. And then in Luke 9, 27, uh, the verse after that is the transfiguration. So we're, we're, we're consistent with our timeline here between Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic, the looking at them uh, similarly gospels. So Luke 9, 27, but I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. But if you look at verse 26, Matthew brings in that son of man language. So whoever is ashamed of me and of my words of him will the son of man be ashamed when he comes in glory and the glory of the father and the holy angels. So you see this combination of language as we go through this son of man, this kingdom language. And in Daniel 7, that's where that shows up. This is talking about the Messiah. This is talking about um, who the Messiah will be, what the Messiah will do. And again, this is just another one of those instances where Jesus is showing people just a little bit, hey, I'm giving you some language that's telling you who I am. Um, so, so thinking about that, what do we do with that verse? Right? Because it says, there will some, there will be, there's some here, standing here, who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. So if you take that literally, then there would be some people who were standing around Jesus when he said that, who wouldn't die until they saw the kingdom of God come with power. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause there for just a second. I'm going to go back to the structure question about why this verse is in chapter 9 versus at the end of chapter 8. Could it be that the person who put the chapter divisions into the Bible, and there were actually several different sets of these over history, and I'm thankful that we finally settled on one because this would have been very confusing a few hundred years ago. But I'm, I'm, 
I'm grateful that we have them, but could it be that the person who said, hey, I want to put this in chapter 9, not in chapter 8, and this is one of the current views of the kingdom of God, thought that this transfiguration, when Jesus was shown for who he is in this bright, shining look, that that was the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. So this is one of those situations where the translator's theology bleeds over into what we see in our modern-day Bibles. So just a thought there why it was included in chapter 9 and not in chapter 8. I would not be of the theology theological position that that is the fulfillment there in, in uh, Mark chapter 9. I think it happens a little bit later, but we'll talk about that when we get to it. So I want to make sure that we dealt with Mark chapter 9, verse 1, and why it was there. Tell me more, Darla. The reader's Bible is like this. Hello from the McGarvey's. Hello, guys. It's, it's like what, Darla? Tell me more. Oh, and if, there are, if there's anybody that's at the Hickson campus watching this in a Sunday school room somewhere, then just please let me know who you're with. That'd be cool to know that there's folks there too. All right, so verse 2. I'll come back to Darla when Darla comments. Uh, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John. So probably three points I want to make about this. One is that not everybody in the New Testament experienced everything that we read about in the New Testament. There are some people who read about this later on. There are some people who were told about this later on. And then there are some people who actually experienced it while it was going on. So Jesus took uh, Peter and James and John, kind of his, they're, they're referred to by several different titles, but inner circle is one. Um, Ah, no verse or chapter. Yes. Uh, and actually, I, so th that's a, I, I really like those, uh, the, the reader, I, I didn't, I thought there was a, I didn't understand that you were saying the ESV reader's Bible. I thought it was a, a different translation of the Bible. Thank you for clarifying that. I really like reader uh, Bibles because they don't have uh, chapter and verse divisions. They're great for getting an entire book and taking it in all at once without being distracted by all the other stuff that's in the margins and numbers and title. There's just none of that. It's just the text. It's much more like a, um, a novel that you would read. So it can be very, very helpful uh, from a consuming large amounts of information. It's a good way to use that resource. It can be very challenging to do serious Bible study with one of those because you almost have to reference a Bible with chapters and verses to be able to understand and communicate with somebody else where we are in this larger book. So just a point there. So he takes with him uh, Peter and James and John, his inner circle. I'm at the top of page 273 now on your handout. And led them up to a high mountain, or he, carried, he, he led the way, carried them up uh, a high mountain by themselves. So it was, just, it was just those four people. And I love the fact that Mark makes a point to define who was there and who was not there. Because he's, he's really drawing out the point, we started with four. <laughs> okay, and this is important. So they were there by themselves, and and then you have these just these four words in English. Um, it's just crazy, right? And he was transfigured, and you might be thinking, what does that mean? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. 
That's why we have definitions for words. So this word means to transform or uh, metamorphose, uh, to transition from one state to another. This is to transform from one thing into another thing. And you might be thinking, well, the only thing that I know that does that is like a butterfly, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a very similar word, metamorpho. Uh, this is an aorist passive indicative. So the indicative is its statement of fact this occurred. The passive means it was something that was done to the subject. So this is something that was done to Jesus. It wasn't something that he did himself. It was something that was done to him, which raises like a million questions in my mind. Uh, the first of which would be who could do something to Jesus, right? And I, I would argue that the Father, I would argue maybe the Spirit, Maybe a combination of them. We don't know. The text doesn't tell us, but we do know that it was something that was done to uh, Jesus' body. So, and he was transfigured before them. This word before, uh, it's used uh, before in uh, Mark's gospel. Sorry, that was awful. I know when, when I can hear Julie's eyes roll from the couch, I know that it was a bad joke. So, somewhere Dave Barber is saying amen. Uh, so Mark 2.12, I just want to show you how this word is used so we can kind of get the context of it in uh, 9.2. says, and he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So this is a something that people could see. I'm just I'm standing before you. This is not a, a time-based word. This is a position-based word. So back to 9.2, uh, and he was transfigured before them, in front of them, where they could see this. There was no hiding. There was no uh, obscuring of visibility. This was, he's transfigured before them. So here we go. And his clothes, his the things that he was wearing, that, that inner or outer, this gives it a very generic term for clothes, became radiant. And this word radiant is a present active participle. And I, I want to... I love this, this uh, parsing here, because you, you might get the idea that this was a very quick action, that it was like, boom, and then Elijah and Moses show up, and then they have this conversation, and it's all over. But this is a present active participle. This is a, there was a habit of this being done. So this, I, I don't know how long, I don't know how many seconds or minutes or, or whatever the time period was that it occurred but it was long enough that it became a habit. So I, I don't think it was just a second or two. I, th it, I think it must have been a little longer in that, as far as a time period. So his clothes became radiant. And this word radiant means to gleam or to flash intensely. So this is just brilliant, brilliant, uh, brilliance. And then the word intensely. And I... So the, the ESV has a habit of doing this. They'll, they'll use a word, uh, they'll, they'll define a Greek word that has a definition that can be the next word that is used in the text, which I think is hilarious. But the word intensely is just the word for a lot. It's just the word for much. So you just, you just take whatever word came before and you amplify it. Well, the word before was, it meant to flash intensely. So, so in Intensely flashing intensely would be a way to, to translate this. This was a lot of, it seems to be, some type of either bright glowing or bright flashing light 
that uh, made a distinct impression <laughs> in the apostles that were here in their in their uh, story time because it shows up in Matthew and Mark and Luke. This is really important to see and understand. So what color does it flash? Well, this is a good question. It, it flashes white. Uh, there's only two times the word white is used in Mark's gospel. It's used here in 9.3, and then it's used again in 16.5 uh, to describe the color of the garment of the uh, young man. <laughs> we'll get to that. In verse 5, it says, 16.5, it says, In entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. So we know that uh, this was not a... Um, I don't want to get too far ahead because I'm kind of excited about that that lesson probably in, what, 2022-ish? I don't know. It'll be a ways away from now. Uh, but but these, the instances of the word white, something very unnatural, and, and I don't say unnatural in a, in a negative sense, unnatural in a unphysical, normal kind of status is occurring here. Um, so just keep that in the back of your mind for a year and a half or so. So, and his clothes became uh, radiant, intensely white. And then there's this really weird phrase, as no one on earth could bleach them. And as having grown up with the King James Version of the Bible, when I, when I started to read through Mark's gospel um, in late 2018, getting ready for this series, I kept getting hung up on this phrase because it was like, and no one on earth could bleach them. Like, that's a, that's a really weird translation of this text. It, it can't be. It can't be close. Uh, it's actually really, really good. Um, as no one, and the, the, the only beef that I have with this particular translation is the word one as opposed to getting a bit more specific. Uh, we probably won't get past this phrase today. We'll probably spend another three or four minutes on this, so just an FYI. Um, as no one, and this word is uh, nafus, uh, this is a, a cloth dresser is how the the uh, Strong's Concordance defines it. And Strong's is, uh, and I've mentioned this a couple times before, Strong's is a directionally correct definition of things. This is not a, like, oh, wow, this is an incredible, well-fleshed-out concept of what's going on here. That's not, that's not Strong's Concordance. Um, the, the, there are other translations, other dictionaries, that describe this as a fuller, F-U-L-L-E-R, um, I had no idea what a fuller was, so I googled it, and uh, the the fourth uh, <laughs> way that this is used in Webster's Dictionary is someone who uh, cleans wool to make it thicker, and I thought, what? I, I don't I don't know. This is kind of odd to me. All right, so uh, you harvest wool from a, uh, an animal, and uh, it's not spotlessly clean. It has to be cleaned. And in the process of cleaning and applying uh, chemicals and cleaning and applying chemicals and cleaning and applying chemicals, the wool itself actually gets thicker. The garment gets more full. So it makes sense to describe someone who takes a piece of cloth and makes it fuller as a Fuller. This was the job. Uh, Wikipedia has a fascinatingly short one-page article on the concept of a fuller. Strongly recommend you go read that. Uh, so, as no fuller on earth could, or in this way, bleach or whiten them. There, there wasn't 
the thing that Mark is communicating here is he's saying there wasn't something that I could compare this whiteness to that I'd seen on earth. This was an unnatural whiteness. This was a brilliance, a radiance, a flashing that just wasn't like anything else that he'd seen. And that's what I love about how Jesus begins to reveal himself to the apostles. He tells them and tells them and tells them and tells them who he is, what he's called to do, how he's going to be uh, crucified, how he's going to rise again, and they don't get it. Even, even in you, you've heard me read Mark chapter 9 a couple of times now. They don't get it. They don't get it. They don't get it. They don't get it. And they're scared to ask him, right? Because it feels like they should have gotten it by now. I mean, you, you know, you've been, you've been given directions by somebody and they assume the fifth time that they've told you that you would understand what's going on. They didn't get it. It was very embarrassing here, right? So they didn't speak up and say, hey, I don't understand this. So this is a totally uh, foreign uh, engagement that Jesus has here with uh, Peter and James and John uh, on this mountain, and they're not done yet, right? It's about to get even weirder, <laughs> if you will, uh, because Jesus has just uh, been, it was done to him, transfigured, there's this glowing, pulsing whiteness, brighter than anybody could bleach anything. His clothes were just this, like, this is just something different. And there's more to come. So uh, we will do uh, some of the uh, felting. So is that the, I gave you, oh, I gave you the reader's word. Okay, great, cool. Uh, is that the common, is that the current word for this, Darla? Felting, is that the current word for fullering? I don't know. I'm, this is... This is me struggling to articulate uh, being so far outside of my, um, like, who knew I should have taken a class on cloth in uh, college as opposed to non-Euclidean geometry. I don't know. Never used that. So anyway, uh, next week, uh, Lord willing, we will pick up with verse four. Um, but uh, I do want to make sure that you guys are aware that if you are interested in engaging with us in our Sunday School. There's a couple different ways you can do that. Uh, you can go to OurSundaySchool.com, and uh, on that page, uh, there is a subscribe page where you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, our uh, uh, Facebook uh, group, OurSundaySchool.com, and then our uh, weekly email. Uh, if you are interested in becoming a member of Our Sunday School and you'd like to commit to the membership expectations, uh, and just to be clear, you, you can do this if you're a member of Stewart Heights, if you're not a member of Stewart Heights, your membership at Stewart Heights, um, I almost said university, Stewart Heights Baptist Church has actually nothing to do with your membership in our Sunday school. So if you're a member of another church and you just want a, another Bible study to follow along with, awesome. If you're not a member of any church and you want a Bible study to follow along with, awesome. Uh, but I would encourage you to go to the About Us page, uh, watch or listen to that lesson so you know what you're uh, signing up for, you know what the expectations are. And then uh, for those of you that uh, uh, have prayer requests, we would encourage you to lean in and engage. Uh, write those prayer requests in, in the comments of uh, this particular video. Even if the video is over, even if this is later on, we'll come back, we'll capture those, we'll pray for those because we love you and we want to care for you and serve you in this way. Uh, and then uh, pray for somebody who's not with you 
And I would encourage you to either go to a Stuart Heights campus or watch online for one of our worship services this morning. Uh, we have uh, we have gotten the uh, Chattanooga campus, the 8.30 and the 11 o'clock service online, and the Saudi Daisy uh, service at 10 o'clock online. So I encourage you to, to pick one of those. Uh, I think the Hickson campus is going to be coming online in the next few months. We're excited about that. And then, uh, so yes. Okay, good. Thanks, Darla. I appreciate that. Uh, the downside of this form of communication is there's about a 20 to 25 second delay in when I say something and when you see it on Facebook. And then I've got to wait for you to see it and respond to it. And then there's a delay coming back. So it's just a, it's like writing letters back and forth to each other. I don't know. It's just kind of odd. Uh, I really can't wait to be with you guys in person again. But that's, again, as I've said, it's going to be a little bit. Uh, so we'll pick up, Lord willing, with uh, verse 4 in uh, Mark chapter 9 next week and see what happens after this brilliant, intense, flashing white uh, that Mark didn't have anything else to compare to. So with that, that's the lesson for today. Appreciate you guys being here. Again, happy birthday to now. Uh, 100 years old. That's incredible. Hope you have a great day. Hope they spoil your rotten. You get to eat all the sweets that you want if sweets are your thing. And if they're not your thing, then I'm sure like uh, the, the grand, uh, grandchildren would love those. So there you go. Our great-grandchildren, maybe the grandchildren too. I don't know. I probably would. So there's that. So uh, it's good to, to see and engage with some of you here. Uh, love you guys. Miss you guys. Praying for you every single day. And with that, uh, hope to see you next week online. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.